I'm going to begin with a few statistics, some bullet points. Uh, It's interesting because I came to this one website, and this website is this. It's overeasy.com, and it's not pertaining to eggs. It's overeasy.com. This is one statistic that is mentioned. Approximately 50% of Americans, 18 and older, who were married in 2017, now that has gone down 8% from 1990. So from 1990 to 2017, it's gone down from 58% to 50% of Americans being married. Baby boomers, and these are age, ages 60 and over. Um, well, the divorce rate in that age range is very high. California is one of three states that have some of the highest median income levels and the lowest, lowest rates of marriage. According to Barna Research Group, they said, said, quote, there, is, there no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. Interviews with young adults suggest that they want their initial marriage to last, but are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There's also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage, in which a person gets married two or three times, seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. Doesn't that match Hollywood? What example are we looking to? They also said, quote, Recent legislation, lawsuits, and public demonstrations over the legality of gay marriage are just one battlefront regarding the institution of marriage. A new study released by the Barna Group of Ventura, California, shows that the likelihood of married adults getting divorced is identical among born-again Christians and those who are not born again. The study also cited attitudinal data showing that most Americans reject the notion that divorce is a sin, close quote. How about you? Right? Because we're, we're here as the church. God's word addresses the church, does it not? You know, as we'll see this morning, this is a sentiment that was actually shared by the Jewish community in the day of Christ. And as we know, this is an attitude that is shared by the world today. It's the very same attitude. It's the same perspective, the same view. 35% of marriages end in divorce, and 20% of adults have been divorced multiple times. It's no different with those claiming to be born-again Christians. That is to our dismay. That is shameful. It shouldn't be, right? Barna once more said, quote, Among married born Married, born-again Christians, 35% have experienced a divorce that figures identical to the outcome among married adults who are not born again. 35%. So, we have to ask the question, if that many people are getting married and then getting divorced, what's wrong with marriage? Marriage. 
What's wrong with marriage? What do you think is wrong with marriage? No, with marriage. Not with the people. Nothing. With marriage itself, nothing. In and of itself, after all, it is the institution that God ordained. What is the problem within marriage? Okay, go ahead, Robert. <laughs> no, that's, that's perfectly fine, and I encourage a, a little interaction here. It's okay, get, you know, give, give some amen, some hallelujahs, and some responses, right? It's, uh, you know, we have to engage, our thoughts have to be there. We have to be thinking through these messages, uh, considering scripture, various verses, is, is this consistent with God's word? You see, you there sitting where you are, as you gain in your knowledge and understanding of God's word, you have to be in the moment thinking about what is being taught. And then in that, in that very moment, seeing, is this consistent with God's word? I, I desire you be discerning. You know God's word very well. What is the problem within marriage? Well, it's laziness, compromise, and the wrong perspective of the people involved in the marriage. Laziness, not serving each other the way God has called on husbands and wives to serve each other. Men fail to lead and women fail to. And I kept trying to think of something, but I, I couldn't get really anything. So just men fail to lead. That's it. Women are always right. And so I don't have anything. Just kidding. Man, we just won't say it, right? Now, of course, we, we both fall short in so many areas. We both fall short. You see, men are supposed to lead. Women are supposed to be our helpmates. That's not to devalue or make the woman to be someone who is inferior. That's, that's far from. In fact, the Lord elevated women to the place where they should be within the institution of marriage. I'm going to bring you back in. I know we had this conversation, um, I think it was last week, but check this out. So Genesis chapter 3, in verse 16, says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. My goodness, men, your wives should be all over you, right? That is a good thing. We can say that in church. Because our desires should be for each other. But that's not what this is referring to. This is saying that your inclination... Sisters, is to rule over your husband. It is to, to take the place of the, the head of the home when he's assigned that to your husband. 
And so that's what we have there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. We have that. It says it right there. Your desire shall be for your husband, that is to rule over him. But then he says, and he shall rule over you. In other words, that's the order that God has set up for you and your marriage and me and my marriage as well. What happens is we get lazy. We have these inclinations. We want to do these things, right? And sisters, you guys are wonderful. You're resourceful. You're there always doing things, trying to put things in order. And what happens is, if we do not lead, if we do not take the head, what happens is we get lazy and we allow you to do that. It's like, okay, go ahead and do it. You want it, you can have it. I'll just sit here with the remote. And we get lazy. Listen, we need to serve the Lord together with zeal, with energy, together, growing in the Lord together. So laziness. Number two, compromise. Small moments of compromise can lead to a person transferring affection from their spouse to another. Wrong perspective. Laziness and compromise are easier when a person has the wrong view of marriage. How do you respond when faced with difficulties and trials within your own marriage? Because people have the wrong view of marriage, instead of focusing on the marriage and building it up and fighting for it, abiding in Christ, what happens is we don't take captive every thought that comes into our minds. Our minds often wander off if we do not have the goal of blessing and honoring the Lord, wanders off into divorce. The word comes up. And now a person, perhaps in that moment, can get out of a marriage. And when both husband and wife are thinking this way, well, then the marriage is doomed. And they will soon be divorced. In James chapter 1, In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, we can all agree that marriage is under attack, right? It is. It's under attack. The enemy will try to destroy marriage, is working to redefine marriage, and is also marring the image of marriage between a man and a woman. Why? Well, why, why such an attack on marriage? Well, because it's the ordained covenant relationship between man and woman that reflects the relationship between Jesus and his church, the bridegroom and the bride. And if the enemy can destroy marriage, then he can destroy society, bringing it into a state of depravity. 
And then anything goes. Utter chaos erupts. Instead, what we ought to know is what God's word says about what a marriage should look like. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Instead of asking what is permissible regarding divorce, we should be asking how can we be successful in our own marriages to the glory of God and the benefit of all. We know how it is that a marriage that glorifies the Lord impacts so many others in a way that glorifies the Lord. Tested, defined, and applied. Those are the three words that, are, um, that I'm putting before each section that we're going to go through Tested, we're going to start with that. So tested, defined, and applied. Let's start with tested because this is exactly what Jesus was. He was tested by the Pharisees in the moment. And oftentimes what we do when we're asking the same questions, when we already know the answers, we're simply testing. We're pushing. Again, verse 1, it says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and, in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Testing. This is what this was, right? As Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, going through the region of Galilee, he came to Judea, where he again took time to teach. And the time of teaching began not as Jesus opened his mouth or he asked a question, but the, the teaching began with the testing of the teacher. Oftentimes in, in, in moments to where we're in small groups, that happens. We have a question. The question comes up, but hopefully there's a, a genuine desire to, to learn, to understand the teaching began with a, a question, with the testing of the teacher, but it wasn't genuine. But Jesus, even in the moment, brought forth the lesson, and then the testing of the students would come later. It would be revealed in their application or the lack thereof. The subject that the Pharisees tested Jesus on was the subject of divorce. The purpose of their inquiry, again, was not to gain knowledge or perhaps get a better understanding of a subject, perhaps that they were confessing they knew little about, but rather to judge or to measure Jesus' understanding of divorce and really to reveal whether he was opposed to or aligned with whatever view they had of Scripture. And also, if he was aligned with the popular opinion of the day. Is Jesus aligned with the popular view of marriage today and divorce? 
I just saw a rainbow flag raised. Unfortunately, um, that has been a symbol uh, of gay pride, right? Um, the very corruption of what God has defined as a marriage that honors and glorifies the Lord. Uh, the rainbow actually is a covenant that God made with mankind, promising not to ever flood the wor- world again. And so we know, as we see those rainbow flags and bumper stickers and all of that, we know that the world attempts to corrupt those things, redefine and undermine the very word of God. That's what you're going to see this whole month. Even if it's bullets that are placed in the back of a helmet with our blessed Marine Corps, which is unfortunate that they've done even that. We stand on the word of God. And again, I ask, as these men were trying to do, they were testing Jesus to find out where he stood. Does his opinion, is, does his stance line up with popular opinion? Their question to him was this. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, it says, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So this gives us additional details that are very important. In Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought. One was led by Rabbi Hillel and the other by Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Hillel's teachings were liberal, while Rabbi Shammai's teachings were conservative. In other words, in the eyes of the people, his teachings, Rabbi Shammai's, were, were very strict. Well, you can guess which one was popular. It wasn't Rabbi Shammai's. The popular teaching was that of Rabbi Hillel. And in that question, the question that the Pharisees asked to Jesus, they were making reference to what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. In that verse it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And it goes on from there. That's what they were referring to. Indecency, perhaps, in your translation, I believe it's in the New King James that says uncleanness. Am I correct in that? Some of you have the New King James. Rabbi Shammai understood uncleanness to mean sexual immorality. And he taught that this was the only justifiable reason for divorcing. If a spouse was found guilty of sexual immorality. But Rabbi Hillel, on the other hand, understood uncleanness to mean anything, anything. Anything that the husband determined to be unclean. If a husband didn't like the way 
the wife cook breakfast, it's unclean, indecent, and was grounds for divorce, literally. If the wife was, uh, and this is true, if the wife was loud and she could be heard in the next room, uh, she was considered to be indecent and unclean, and she could be divorced. If the wife disrespected her husband, that could be determined to be unclean. And the list goes on and on and on. It could be for any reason whatsoever. This is what was asked of Jesus. What camp are you in? What do you believe? But these men were testing Jesus to simply trap him. And and we need to pay attention to how it is that Jesus answered their question. He answered them with, as is usual, a question. How did Moses command you? You see, Rabbi Hillel taught that it was a man's righteous duty to divorce his wife if she annoyed, irritated, displeased, or dissatisfied him in any way. And Jesus is pointing out that according to Deuteronomy 24.1, this was a false teaching. Jesus was pointing to the word to answer their own question. What does the word say? It's not man's opinion. It's, it's God's opinion that matters in this regard, regarding this subject. Divorce was allowed, but then again, it was with restrictions. We're going to see why it was allowed. And Jesus is about to define marriage and how it is to be handled according to God's word. And Jesus will also tell them why it is that Moses allowed divorce. These people were testing Jesus to find some fault in him, but this only gave him opportunity to clarify and teach them on the subject of marriage and divorce and everyone else who is listening. When testing occurs... What happens is that gives us the opportunity to go to God's word and see what God's word has to say about the subject. Don't rely on the opinions of people. Just go to the word. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing. He was pointing them to the word of God. So tested. Secondly, he defined. He defined what the word says exactly regarding marriage. And that's what he wanted to turned their attention to, was to marriage. Verse 5, as we continue, says, And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus, after asking them what the word says, tells them why it was written. Do you know that God is merciful? Oh, he is so merciful. 
And it was in this verse, and it's in those sections of Scripture, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, that God once again displays His mercy. You see, it was God's mercy toward the people that He had Moses write these words. Why was divorce allowed? Well, the allowance was made, but it came with restrictions. You see, it did not free the person to do as he or she pleased. And we'll see that in a few moments. Divorce, you see, served as protection for a woman who was hated by her husband. Again, there were restrictions. One's heart could be hardened to the point of being cruel, callous, uncaring, and unkind toward their spouse. And in the other's heart, their heart could be hardened to the point of being unable or unwilling to forgive to restore, and to be reconciled to their spouse. What did Jesus do? He brought them back to the very beginning. The beginning of creation, as we read here. We need to pay attention. We need to notice what Jesus is doing here. He's not focusing on divorce, but rather on marriage and what God intended marriage to be. They wanted to know when divorce is allowed, but Jesus is emphasizing marriage and how God defined it. We need to first understand that. Is the Old Testament outdated? It's not. Are the rules for marriage and divorce different today than perhaps maybe they were then? Does God change? No, God's definition of marriage is the same today. And the problems within marriages are the same today as they were then. And instead of trying to find ways to divorce, we should really find ways to have a successful and thriving marriage that glorifies the Lord. I truly believe that any man and woman can come together, whether they've known each other or not, And if they were to just follow God's word and know the purpose of their marriage, oh, you could thrive. You could be successful. You you could have that love toward each other that goes far beyond what the world's definition of love is. You see, nothing's changed. We're self-centered. We want things our way. We want things done for us. But from the very beginning, this is what Jesus was doing. He brought them to the very beginning. This was his, his answer to them. From the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. God made them. He's our creator. He fashioned us male and female. Enough said. There's nothing in between. There's no exchange. It's just he's created us, male and female. Therefore, male and female in marriage shall become one flesh. What this means, and I, when I'm officiating a wedding, I bring this up. What this means is that the man and woman leave their parental relationships as primary 
and now focus on the marriage. That is their primary relationship. And all other relationships are no longer primary. Your marriage is primary. One flesh, yoked together, working together, going in the same direction in Christ and serving Him, glorifying Him. With this said, a man or a woman should be willing to forsake all other relationships for the sake of the marriage. Even with father, mother, sister, brother, son, daughter, and especially friends. Being willing to. Not desiring to, but being willing to. Because a husband and wife become one flesh, well, to tear this apart would be the equivalent of amputating a part of your body. Is that how your relationship is? Is that how your marriage is? To where if you were to get divorced, you'd be amputating a part of who you are. That is how it is to be viewed. This is why Jesus was referring back. This is how it it has been from the very beginning. Nothing's changed. Oh, people, please understand. We're we're focused on what can we do to get divorced? What, What is acceptable? And God is saying, no, focus on how God has defined marriage and what it should be from the very beginning. God has joined the two. He says, and what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let no one separate that. You see, what Jesus was referencing goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. In Genesis 2.24, it's back in the beginning. God defined marriage after all. It was his institution. Therefore, his rules to govern it. You look to him. You don't look to your state. You don't look to your country to define marriage. You don't look to, don't look to your friends to define marriage for you. To back you up. Go to the word of God. Sometimes we need to draw away from those who are closest to us. Because if what they're counseling us with regarding our marriage is in opposition to the word of God, contrary to it, we need to turn away from that and turn to God. Seems simple enough to understand, right? That's why I told you it's an easy subject. Now, I'm not saying marriage is easy. But really, it is simple. It's not difficult to understand. If both husband and wife are focused on glorifying God in their marriage, then they're going in the same direction and in the right direction. And because both of you are desiring to honor and glorify the Lord, what happens is even in those, as we call them, passionate discussions, they're not disputes or arguments or passionate discussions, right? 
Even in those moments, what happens is if you have the word of God before you, you want to honor the Lord, what happens is you can draw toward the word and agree on, on that. Right? Well, tested and defined and finally applied. Verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. What I love about this is that he doesn't go into a lengthy explanation. Jesus, I don't know how many words that was, but that was a few words, wasn't it? That's it. And I can just imagine... It was like one of those mic drops, right? It's like, okay, that's it, period. God has spoken. This is exactly what this means. Because the disciples came to Jesus and pretty much was asking, well, what do you mean by that? At this point, they should know, hey, listen, this is what I'm saying. This is what it means. It was very plain. If any spouse after divorce marries another, that person commits adultery. Any questions? That's it. Why is that? Well, because in God's eyes, they are still bound by the covenant they made to each other and before God. They're still bound to that covenant that they made. And we ought to take the whole counsel of God's word so that we have a clear understanding. There's more. There's more. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. It says, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of hardness, uh, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Therefore, as we consider this... And think about Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. Uncleanness or indecency referred to in that verse was defined by Jesus as truly meaning sexual immorality. So who was right? Rabbi Hillel or Shammai? If you remember Shammai, right? Except for sexual immorality. Are there any other reasons for divorce? We'll let Scripture answer that. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12. It says, To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife... Before we go on, though, real quick. All right. Um, this is scripture. So I know we, we try and find loopholes uh, in scripture, but this is scripture. This is the very word of God. Uh, this isn't parenthetical and saying, well, someone added this later. No, it was uh, Paul's writings led by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Let's understand that, okay? That way we don't dismiss this and say, well, this was, this was just Paul's opinion and his view. No, this is scripture. And this is what it says. So the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So, with this, what we read here, this is a case of abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And what does it say here? But if the unbelieving partner separates, what does it say? Let it be so. What does this mean? Wow. Doesn't God hate divorce? He does hate divorce. But this is clearly teaching that the believing spouse is not to compromise their relationship with Jesus to appease their unbelieving spouse and put them above the Lord. Not even your spouse, an unbelieving spouse. Well, how am I going to win them to the Lord? What happens is, and I've seen this often, the unbelieving spouse will take the place of God. There will be idolatry because the believing spouse will compromise and give in because they're tired to the constant barrage of ridicule and all kinds of things that are being said because the believing spouse is serving the Lord and spending time in fellowship and in church and doing those things that please and honor the Lord. And they begin to compromise. But if the unbelieving spouse or partner separates, let it be so. Adultery or abandonment, remarriage is allowed. The question is, what if we, at this very moment, have not acted according to God's word? And we've divorced for various reasons. Perhaps because we, quote-unquote, fell out of love. We've heard that one, right? Because of irreconcilable differences. By law, this is allowed, right? Whatever the reason might be. This is why we can stand with great confidence the moment we come to understand and we know what is right and what is false, what is not right before the Lord. Listen, 1 John 1.9 applies. 
The moment we understand, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In God's eyes, a person is either single or married. You know that he doesn't place you. There's, there's not a category to where it says, well, you're either single, married, or there's other, this other category of you're, you're divorced. You're either single or married. Forgiven or remain in your sin. Your primary relationship with, is with Jesus, and that relationship will bring meaning and strength to your marriage. Even after a divorce, even after having failed, whether it has been once or twice or three times, we need to come to a moment in our relationship with the Lord to where we agree with his word. It is no longer what I choose to do. That's not what I'm going to do. But from this moment on, Lord, forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Lead and guide me according to your word and by your spirit to glorify you and honor you with the relationship that I have right now. First with you, and second, if I'm married, with my spouse. Because in these final verses of Mark chapter 10, in verses 10 through 12, in the section that we've covered, it's simply the word applied. I'm going to read one more section in Ephesians. And then we'll close out. This in marriage is, is beautiful. I, I, just, I just counseled this, um, uh, this young man and this young woman. And um, a young man that I've known for, for some time. And I hadn't talked to him for, for, for some time. And uh, he texted me, say, hey, Mr. Montano, I'm... Um, I'm just wondering if you could meet with um, my, my girlfriend and I. I'm like, oh, absolutely, let's do that. So we met, and, uh, <clears throat> and he came in, and he introduced me to his girlfriend, and we sat down. And the moment I started going through some scripture, I, I didn't know what exactly they were looking for. Uh, oftentimes I'm approached because there's some issues, you know, within the relationship. Um, but I wasn't too sure where they were. But as soon as I made reference to, I think, one verse, what happened is he brought out this, this box, this container that had, had a Bible in it, had highlighters, had different colored pens, and a notebook. Broke it out, laid down his Bible, put out his notebook, his pens, his highlighters, his girlfriend, brought out the sword, the Bible, and put it down on the desk. And at that very moment, I thought, they're doing it right from the very beginning. It absolutely blessed me. If more, more kids, more kids desired to honor the Lord in that way. Oh, man. 
if that, if that was an encouragement to me in the moment and still is, I mean, I will forever see that. Um, I can't imagine the Lord's heart uh, when he sees couples blessing and honoring him and glorifying him. Well, this young man went on to tell me that he just wanted to know how to start this relationship right. He was, they were both telling me, well, you know, we're praying together. Uh, we're going through and studying the Bible together. Um, and so we just want to be encouraged. Like, what, what is that you, that you have? Like, well, you're, you're doing, just make sure you keep the relationship pure. Don't compromise. And just seek to honor and serve the Lord in this relationship now. And then as you do go toward marriage, that you do so in your marriage just make sure you stay close to the Lord and keep him before you. He's your prize. He's your goal. This is how marriage should be. This is as defined by the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, her husbands, uh, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The test of our understanding and love of God is always tested in our willingness, or revealed in our willingness, to apply truth in obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you. Lord, for this moment of instruction. Lord, your word is truth. Lord, forgive us as we have fallen short in our own marriages. Perhaps we've made, uh, we've gone through and we've made the mistake of, of divorcing. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that, and ask that you would forgive us. Lord, that you would strengthen our marriages, Lord, that we would... Lord, be mindful of your word. We would mature. Not seeking the approval of man, the world. But Lord, desiring to honor and glorify you. I ask your blessing upon each marriage here. We know that the protection that you have offered comes from your word. I pray, Lord, that we would be watchful, diligent, Lord, in studying your word so that way we are discerning when the enemy is coming against us in our marriages, that we may 
make right decisions in the moment, not compromising, but making decisions, Lord, that honor the marriage and honor you. And I pray, Lord, for all those who are single here or perhaps watching online, that there would be a preparation, Lord, for whoever it is that they have, that you have in store for them, that they would be prepared for that moment and they would be prepared for marriage and they too would honor and glorify you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, for for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, that is how you are with us, Lord, regarding salvation. And yet, Lord, even in that, you tell us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us place our faith squarely on him and him alone. He is our hope. In Jesus' name we pray.